communities of faith that weren't quite doing it the right way. They didn't figure it out. There was a lot of naughtiness happening. And so in Corinth is perhaps the one that was the most rough-and-tumble kind of a town. And so Paul is writing to them and writing to them and encouraging them. And even though they have rejected him a couple of times, he does not give up. His faith is strong. His love of that community of faith is strong. Before I read our passage for today, I, I want to share a story that I read uh, by a pastor named Rodney Johnson. And he talks about something that took place up there at Niagara Falls. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? I've been there a couple of times, both times on the Canada side. And just the sheer power and majesty of it is amazing. I like to stand right where the water is rushing and just before it goes down, and then you just move a few feet away and you can really get a sense of the power of this, this beautiful piece of nature. Well, Johnson tells this story about a man who fashioned a tightrope uh, tight wire across from the American side to the Canadian side. And he got up and there was a crowd that had gathered. There was always a crowd right there. And he said, who believes that I can walk across the Niagara Falls on this tightrope? It was a little bit windy, and there, no one said that he could. Matter of fact, I think most of them didn't even want to see him try it because they were afraid what they were going to witness, his peril, his fall. So nobody said he could. So he got up there, and he walked across the falls, turned around, and walked back. People were impressed. They were clapping, just like we clapped after Sonny sang that beautiful song. And then he said, who here believes that I can walk across this tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow? People said, oh, no, that, no, no one believed he could do it. So he got up there with a wheelbarrow, walked across the falls from Canada to America, turned around and walked back to Canada. People were impressed. He said, who here believes that I can walk across this tight wire with a person in the wheelbarrow? Now, they didn't believe he could do it without any props. They didn't believe he could do it with a wheelbarrow, but they saw it with their own eyes. And they, they said, yes, we know you can. You can do it. You can do it. And he said, okay, who is going to volunteer? Nobody said, here I am. I think the story has a lot to say about most of our faith journeys. I mean, who here would get into that wheelbarrow, even though you knew that he could do it because he was so steady? And here's how Johnson summarizes this. He says, this story exemplifies how we walk with Christ. We believe what the Bible says and the testimony of others. We just don't believe it unquestioningly when it comes to us. We preach, you know, we preach, live by faith, but we practice living by sight. Afraid to take that step of faith. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that we are called metaphorically and sometimes literally to walk forward with Christ, not knowing what may be ahead. Walking in faith. Walking in faith. We know that you cannot stand still and be a Christian. We need to do more than talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. And so let's come to this uh, letter the second letter to Corinthians, I'm in chapter 5, and I have two segments of this passage that I'm going to read to us. And these words say, So we are always confident, 
even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now before I really get into the we walk by faith, there are three other things that really jump out from that passage that just kind of strike me. And the first was when Paul said, we must all of us appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You ever sat through a sermon where the pastor was doing the best that he or she could to scare the hell out of you? Right? Just trying to scare you with fear of damnation, fear of, of eternal torment. I've always thought it better to love somebody into relationship with Jesus Christ instead of scare them I don't think our love can ever truly be full if it's based on fear. But when I read this, yes, Paul says these words, but Paul does not even have the slightest hint of a fearful understanding of the last judgment. And so Paul will not stoop to fear-mongering as so many pastors do. As a matter of fact, we know that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one that died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. Now, Paul has no fear because he knows he has this right relationship with God, and he knows that as the psalmist says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. There are times where we maybe even knowingly or unknowingly hurt someone else because of our selfish ambitions, but we know that if we confess our sins, all of us have no need for con to fear condemnation because our slate can be wiped clean. You know, time and time again, Jesus made it clear that he did not come to condemn. The woman caught in adultery, she says, do you condemn me? He said, no. And in the, the gospel, in a nutshell, in the third chapter of John, after saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life, he says this, indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. What are the ways in which we might condemn ourselves? Something that is not in the nature of Christ. 
The second thing that kind of caught my attention as I was reading this passage again this week is that phrase, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. If I were to ask you, who is Jesus? What answers would you give? At our lectionary Bible study on on Wednesday night, I asked that question and I received a, a wonderful array of answers to that very question. But Paul did know Jesus from a human point of view, had this understanding before he had his conversion, before he was knocked off his uh, horse and heard the voice of God. When Paul saw Jesus from a human point of view, he saw him as a radical and a threat that as such had to be killed. And, And he knew that his followers that were doing the same kind of ministry that Jesus did, they needed to be exterminated as well. And that was his mission. That was his goal until God got a hold of him. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you know him from a a purely human point of view? Or do you see Jesus as God? Who do you say Jesus of Nazareth is? Because it's impossible for us to say that he's a myth, that he's a legend. No, we know that there was such a man, Jesus, who lived from Nazareth, who was crucified. We have historical records of it. But what would you say? You know, some people say he's just a wisdom teacher, one of the great wisdom teachers ever. Some say he was just a champion of social justice. But I have given my life to saying and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Lord who, yes, taught with wisdom and, yes, was a champion for justice, but also who died that I might have a right relationship with the God who created me and the God who loved me and you so much that that became flesh through Emmanuel, the God that continues to sustain us through the Holy Spirit to strengthen our Christian walk. The third thing that jumped out at me before I really get to what I want to talk about. Don't worry, this sermon's not going to be 35 minutes long. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And so you wonder, have you ever known someone whose life really did change 180 because suddenly the love of God got in their hearts and suddenly they started to respond differently? I'm always a little leery of someone who says, oh, yes, I am a, a devout Christian, but then I, I take a look at what they're doing, and they're, they're not different at all than anyone else who is doing the kinds of things that the rest of society is doing. We who proclaim the love of Christ, we who wear the name Christian, are constantly in a, in a tug of war with, with our, our, our desire to conform with society. Paul, who is writing this letter to Corinth, also wrote to the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not conform. Become new. Become new, a new creation who is empowered and equipped to do wonderful things for the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, the left out, the left behind. He is encouraging them to live by what Jesus taught, not by what they were seeing happen in Corinth with temple prostitution, with with people exploiting one another, the terrible treatment of those who are of the lower class. No, be different. Be something new. You know, when I think about conversion, 
Some things do change, and some things stay the same. And in the, the Serendipity Study Bible, which has questions, one of their questions says this, and I hope you think about it this week. How is the new creation both instantaneous and ongoing? How is it both instantaneous and ongoing? And so we wrestle with all those things, but we come to the proclamation of this day that we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. And let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that we walk blindly. Yes, we walk by faith, not by sight, but we're not walking blind. No, we have eyes to see those that the rest of the world says is invisible. We have eyes that see, but we walk by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? We all know what it is to walk. Let me illustrate. And some of us even have these things in our pocket called pedometers. I have walked today uh, 2,359, 60 steps. I know for a fact, because I knew I was going to do this today, that it, I, it takes me 519 steps to get from where I park to come to church on Sunday morning so that I can leave space for everyone else that, that doesn't have 519 steps in them. We wear these pedometers because a lot of us have goals, fitness goals about walking. I have a goal this year to make sure I walk at least 2,021 miles because it's the year uh, 2021. It's attainable and I can track it. But I wonder, have anyone, has anyone here ever set a walk by faith goal? Do we have goals in our faith journey? If so, what would they look like? Who would they benefit? I think we need to take it seriously. Yes, we know what it is to, wa to walk, but, but what about faith? What about faith? Faith, we know, according to Webster, and Webster is not the Bible, Webster says, unquestioning belief, complete trust or confidence, loyalty. But do we know what the Bible's definition of faith is? We hear it in the book of Hebrews. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we walk by faith. Paul says, therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in the newness of life. Christianity is something that is called the way. It is a movement, and we have done a great disservice to the church by institutionalizing it. We need to continue to be on the move, moving forward for the gospel. Walking by faith is walking in the reality of God's love and of God's grace. And this love should affect us deeply, and it should become the basis of our lives, of our words, of our deeds, of our journey. I believe walking by faith means to open ourselves to the changing power of a relationship with God. Christians walk a different walk. Not only do we walk a different path, but we also walk in a different manner. And the difference is caused by our active and dynamic relationship with the living God. One that we don't just call Jesus of Nazareth. One that we call Jesus Christ. And Paul was trying to convey all of this. 
A pastor named Mark uh, Barger Elliott said, in Paul's mind, our faith in Jesus does not inoculate us against the reality of hardship, but reframes our life with Christ at the center, the Christ who suffered on our behalf. When we come to discern this truth, we also discover the true source of our strength in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, walk on. Walk on in the strength, in the source of our strength. As God's people, let's be on the move. Amen.